Some listeners may find the following content highly disturbing and controversial. Listener discretion is advised. So grab your drink, grab your dog, and let the fuckery begin. This This is Liquor and Luminol. Welcome back to Liquor Illuminati. I'm Haley. I'm Kristen. And I'm Emily. And today we're going to be talking about the murder of Elizabeth Short, um, which most of you will probably know as the Black Dahlia. And we're also going to be discussing another podcast, which is something that we haven't really done before, but it's called uh, Root of Evil. We're going to link that in the description box so you guys can check it out. Um, it's really interesting. This podcast, I don't want to spoil it because we're going to be talking about it. But if you're interested, listen to that first. It's about eight episodes and it's really, really informative. It's really good. Yeah, and it can tie one particular person, his name's George Hodel, back to the death of um, Black Dahlia. So it's a deep dive into basically his family um, realizing and researching how they're, um, it's ultimately someone's father, a mm-hmm. great-grandfather, um, and all that kind of stuff, how it ties back to his involvement in her death. So there will be spoilers, so yeah. listen to that if you don't want to listen to this right off the bat (laughs) and if you remember in our first episode emily is really excited about this one (laughs) she she talked about it you talked about it i did in our very first episode i was like this is my most memorable one so i'm i'm nervous and excited (laughs) to talk about this so she knows probably the most kristen probably the second most i know nothing i listen to root of evil that is it um so i'm gonna be sitting back and kind of being told the story along with you guys Yes, I think your commentary will be <laughs> interesting. <laughs> much, much interesting on, on, on this one. Um, but before we get into it, we kind of want to give you guys a disclaimer, so I'll let Emily take the lead on that to yeah. give you guys a heads up. So we just kind of, I mean, I know we already have a disclaimer at the very beginning, but just because this episode um, in our minds is so different than I feel like what we've done um, thus far, just want to preface again that this particular episode will contain um, extremely violent and gruesome content. So again, please just, you know, listener discretion advised, especially on this episode. So if you guys just want to take a step back, we're fine. We've got big lineup coming up. Big lineup. Big lineup of other ones coming big up. Big hitters coming Follow up. Follow us on Instagram at Liquor and Luminol, or we'll also have that linked in the description, the link to our Instagram. So we'll get started. Emily, from the top, make it drop. <laughs> Elizabeth Short was born in July of 1924 in Boston, Massachusetts, to her father, Cleo, and her mother, Penelope. There were a total of five girls, including Elizabeth, which I can imagine was a very um, dramatic and bustling household. Oh, yeah, <laughs> imagine. Um, her father, Cleo, was a builder of mini golf courses. Uh, I don't know if that's just smaller golf courses or if that's um, modern-day putt-putt. It's Center for Ants, <laughs> Golf for Ants, Zoolander. Um, so he built those until the stock market crash of 1929. After that, he lost all of his business and his family went completely broke. And because of that, one night they found his car empty at the Charleston Bridge, or I'm sorry, Charlestown Bridge, and there was no note, 
no word from him. No one could find him. So they had to just presume that he was dead and had taken his own life. So at that point, um, the girls and their mom had to move into a small apartment, and she took on a job as a bookkeeper to support her children. Elizabeth and her family grew up in Medford, Massachusetts, but she would also live on and off in Florida, specifically Miami during the winter months, because she had severe bronchitis and asthma that she actually had to have surgeries for, and the doctor said that if she moved somewhere where there was a more mild climate that it would kind of keep her symptoms at bay. So she's in between Massachusetts and in between Florida, in between basically families for most of her life. And when she was in her sophomore year of high school, she actually just decided to drop out. And also, when Elizabeth was 18 years old, her family got a shock of a lifetime um, when they received a letter from her presumably dead dad that he was not dead and he couldn't handle the shame that he brought to his family when they lost everything so he faked his own death but actually had moved to california which (laughs) you know it's kind of like damn dude like you just fucked over your whole family and then you're just like surprise surprise Surprise, motherfucker motherfucker. (laughs) i'm back (laughs) and then it's like and why would you have waited that long because really um she elizabeth short hadn't seen her dad since she was six years old and now she's 18 so it's like all this time has passed and you think your dad is dead and then he just comes back into the picture like you've grieved the whole process you've like whatever and it's like i'm back and it's like i'm sorry yeah and this is the crazier part so because she was 18 she decided and she had already dropped out of high school she decided that she was going to move to california to live with her dad in vallejo california that's kind of sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's kind of like I get it because you were probably wanting to like reconnect, and you're like, "Oh, my, my dead dad isn't yeah. alive now, yeah. and so I'm gonna go live with him." But ultimately, it wasn't that great of a living situation. Her and her father didn't really get along, um, so trying to reconnect was very difficult for them. And and I think that she honestly moved out as quick as she moved in with him. Elizabeth took a job at an Air Force base in California and she stayed on the base with some friends. And it was kind of unclear, but it did make a, a point to say that she also lived with an abusive sergeant mm-hmm. who I can maybe assume that she was in a relationship with him. You know, young, I'm moving to California, yeah. all this different kind of stuff. So... In 1942, she moved to Santa Barbara, and that's kind of when she started going out, having a nightlife. Mind you, she's only 18, so she was eventually caught and arrested for underage drinking. And because they didn't really know what to do with her because she was 18, just freshly, technically an adult, she was under 21, the court system decided to send her back. They said, you can either go back to Massachusetts with your family or you can go back to Florida because that's technically where you came from. And so she chose to go back to Florida and then she would on and off visit her family in Massachusetts, but she mainly just relocated to Florida. Um, While in Florida, she met uh, Matthew Gordon Jr. in 1945. He was a part of the military he had been deployed to India so that he could train to fight in World War II. And he had been injured in a plane accident, I think, while training. And then when he was in the hospital recovering, he wrote her a letter proposing that when he comes back home that they get engaged. So she's super stoked. Where's the ring? Where's the ring? Where's the <laughs> ring, Matthew? 
<laughs> so she's excited. She's going around telling everybody. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, when he was in a second plane crash, he did not make it no. out of that one. Actually, one week before Japan surrendered that he passed away. Fuck me, man. Yeah. Stop. So she, you know, I mean, because at this point she was in her 20s. So she was excited. But then she also kind of got over the death of him. Mm, that whatever. was fun about last Hey, I ain't going to shit on her. It was the fucking 40s. I don't know. <laughs> At this point, she decided to move back to California. And specifically, when she went back, she went to Los Angeles because she had known some people um, from a military base in Florida who went back to California. So by the time that she moved to L.A., it was July um, 1946. And preface, this is about only six months before her demise. Hmm. Um, When she moved there, a lot of people said that she was going to be a would-be actress, but she was never actually linked or credited to any acting if she actually ever did. It's, that's not your typical, like, you know, small town girl moving to California to become a movie star. Like Mm -hmm. she simply went at, in the first place because her dad was out there and then she just went back after, um, I'm just going to say her fiancé passed away because it was familiar. She knew people out yeah. there. It was, you know, almost like a third home to her. So she worked as a waitress, and then she also lived off of Hollywood Boulevard, um, I think probably close proximity of where she worked. Um, and we can only really assume that from July to January – um, Elizabeth was working, enjoying California life. She was a super beautiful young lady, mm-hmm. um, and she had everything in the world to look forward to. She was kind of dating or seeing a few people. One of them was a married man, and he mysteriously was the last person to have ever seen her alive. Hmm. And this was on January 9th of 1947 that he dropped her off at the Baltimore Hotel in downtown LA and it was reported that her sister one of her sisters from Massachusetts was coming in town to visit her Um, and there were people at the hotel who do recall seeing her there in the lobby at a payphone you know just kind of waiting for someone to show Mm -hmm. up Um, unfortunately the next time that anyone would ever see Elizabeth is when her body was found pushed back from a sidewalk in Lamette Park on January 15th of 1947. And how she was found is there was a local resident, um, Betty Bursinger, and she was pushing her three-year-old in a stroller for a morning walk. And when she saw something like off into the grass, she thought that maybe it was a store mannequin. And so she went to go investigate, got a little bit closer, and then she made the horrible realization that it was an actual, it was a corpse, it was a human body. So she freaks out, takes her and her kid to the closest house to call the police. And in the area that it was in, it was underdeveloped at the time. So there were a few houses around, but it was mainly just empty lots, just with overgrown grass, really not a lot going on. Um, Elizabeth Short's body was found mutilated and severed at the waist. She had been drained of all of her blood and washed with gasoline before she was placed at the scene. Her mouth had been cut from each corner of her mouth up to her ears, making the Glasgow smile, which is just the appearance of a permanent smile on her face. She also had many different 
cuts, lacerations, chunk of flesh missing all over her body. And her lower part of her body was a foot away from her, the upper part of her body. So her legs were spread wide open. And mind you, she's naked this whole time. So her legs are spread wide open and her head or her upper body, her hands were placed over the top of her head and her intestines were tucked under her like lower part. Um, At the scene when detectives finally got there and actually before the, the detectives got there, news reporters had got wind of this before anybody else did so they Mm -hmm. are swarm of bees taking pictures that's why we have so many crime scene pictures yeah and and we're not going to post any of the crime scene photos just out of respect basically but if you do you know get a wild hair up your ass you just type in black dahlia yeah you type in black dahlia murder and it will show you every everything that you could potentially because i wasn't even looking for it i was like "Mm, okay it's yeah it's it's you know i'm gonna sound like a broken record it's gruesome it's violent it's it's disgusting but um so you know before the detectives get there that's how we have all these crime scene photos so when the detectives do get there they found footprints and um like wet bloody cement bags but the thing about these cement bags is that the blood was on top of them, not inside. So this was a dead giveaway that whoever placed her body there, and they knew that it was placed because who's yeah. going to, you know, if you're disposing of a dead body, you're not positioning the mm-hmm. dead body. This was a, a thought-out murder and disposal. They were doing it for the the surprise of just like yeah, it was, posing it. They were wanting the, the gruesome shock factor yeah it was a shock factor and i want you to know Mm -hmm. that i did because the blood was on top of the bags and not inside the bag they knew that this meant that the killer used the bags to transport her there when they took her to get her autopsy done the coroner frederick newbar determined that the cutting of her body was done by a procedure called hemicorpterectomy and i hope i'm saying that right which is basically you have to sever the body between two particular lumbar discs. Mm-hmm. So you'd have to be a skilled surgeon or medical. Yeah, yeah, you'd have to know the anatomy of the human body to do that. So they also found that very interesting, especially because that particular procedure was taught in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're talking almost 20 years after that procedure was yeah. a big thing and taught that somebody is still performing it yeah. so it's just interesting um, and he also noted that she had no skull fracture fractures but there were blows to the head um, just due to like bruising and stuff there was mm-hmm. she didn't actually crack her head on anything but there were bruises and obviously the lacerations and the cut um, which is what they ruled her cause of death as was lacerations and blows to the head and face is ultimately what she what she died from um, the, how they identified her was also kind of interesting because I think it was like a newer technology at the time. The FBI used something called sound photo, which was a device that transmitted images by a telephone, which what? I like thought was... Like text messages? Yeah, and I was kind of like... <laughs> so like picture, like, picture mail? Yeah. Like I didn't get it. But um, her fingerprint had matched up from the night that she was arrested for underage drinking. Mm-hmm. So they were actually able to identify her within I think like 48 hours of who it was. Yeah. Which, you know, props to technology. And I guess 
props to her for getting well, arrested. Well, especially, like, back then, like... Well, that's what I mean. Like in the 40s, almost in the 50s, that's that's fast. That's fast. To add insult to injury, there was a, um, I must, I think it's like a magazine or a group of reporters, and they were called examiners. Um, So the reporters at the examiner's office called her mother Phoebe, and said, "Hey, Elizabeth won a beauty contest. Um, We're trying to gather all this information. Blah blah blah." So they're you know getting all this shit from her mom and then once they have what they needed from her mom they go actually elizabeth was murdered stop that's crazy and then they offered to fly her mom out to la and put her up so that she could continue to talk to them and not the police Fuck that. it was like this huge manipulative like <sighs> my heart break. yeah i know because her mom probably felt obligated to to come, I mean, obviously to come out there like your yeah. daughter was just fucking murdered, but also to come out and and take the offer of well these people are the ones who called and told me about my daughter. I guess I better tell them yeah. the information. So she she her mom ultimately did end up coming out to um, California, and I think that she lived there for a few years up until she got I think into her eighties, and then she moved back to Massachusetts and she passed away in Massachusetts. Yeah. After her death, she coined the name Black Dahlia, and I've read a few different things and heard a few different names on how she got this nickname, but the three that I've really consistently seen is some of these are just kind of like obvious, which makes me laugh even though it's not funny, but it was because she had darker hair and always wore a flower in it, specifically a Dahlia. Mm -hmm. Don't know. I know that she had darker hair, but I don't know about the specifically wore a flower in her hair. Um, the other one was, um, because she was beautiful, like a Dahlia flower, and she was always seen wearing, like, darker, like, dresses, or always yeah. dressed in, like, dark clothing. Um, another one, yeah, which is fucked up, but it's the, it's the fucking 40s, um, is that she was, that people thought that she was on the promiscuous side, that she was, like, a lady of the night, that oh, she was geez. sleeping with all these people, and I guess at the time, there was a movie called Blue Dahlia, which was about a drunken party girl who had an affair with someone, ultimately ended up drunk driving and killed their son. It sounds like a fucking hell of a plot line. Um, But they basically just called her the Black Dahlia because they found her dressed in black, and it was a play of Blue Dahlia and Black Dahlia because this lady was a drunk and a whore. So they're basically just saying that, and I think that even in the um, th- these reporters, the examiners, they wrote an article that said the last thing that she was seen in was a, a loose blouse and a skirt. You know, and I mean, yeah. nowadays, it's the 40s, yeah. nowadays, you, it doesn't fucking matter. She could be walking down the street naked and someone yeah. fucking cut her in half. Like, yeah. it's fucked up either way, but it was the time. Yeah. It was the time, and, and that was fucking normal for them to say. So by the spring of 1947, they didn't have really any leads on who the killer was. I think they went through like 150 people but kept coming up short on all of those, um, which is odd that they couldn't pinpoint it to anyone because in a Zodiac way, there was someone writing in letters, calling in to the LAPD, and at one point a package was intercepted through USPS, and it had uh, something to the extent of – like, this contains things about the Black Dahlia. And the mail sorter was like, oh, fuck yeah. no. 
and immediately, you know, opened it up, took it to the police and everything. So, like, someone was taunting them. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Somebody was, was trying to be like, look at me, look at me, you very much me. Yeah. In, a, in a Zodiac yeah. way. Um, and so, in the package was Elizabeth Short's birth certificate, an address book, um, uh, names of, of other people, and it, it just all this weird stuff. And the the little, like, I guess address booklet is what you would call it, um, was cleaned with gasoline so they couldn't run it for fingerprints mm-hmm. or look at anything. But there was a embossed stamp of a guy named um, Mark Hansen. And she had known Mark Hansen. I guess this was a guy who wanted a relationship with her or maybe they had had a fling or something like that. But her friends confirmed that Elizabeth Short didn't want to have anything to do with Hanson, and she had turned him down. Um, so the police questioned him a lot. He checked out. He had a strong alibi, and he was never charged with anything. And mm-hmm. I think that it was probably just because maybe he was pickpocketed and somebody sent it trying to pin it on him. I really don't know, but they checked him out, and they said that he was whatever. So it was just interesting because obviously whoever had that had to have been with her to obtain it. Mm-hmm. So. It was this whole, you know, who done it case, and yeah. it, it ultimately it, it it just became a cold case, and I think s- still to this day it's considered a cold case. It's unsolved, um, all this kind of stuff. Um, but Elizabeth is buried in the Mountain View Cemetery in Oakland, California, and her death is still marked as one of the most infamous unsolved cases in the world. Mm. And I think she was. 22 when she died so she was right at the prime of her life moved back to LA to get over these fucking tragedies that she had to deal with you know her dad her fiance and then you know one day she goes to a hotel and then the next day she's found in the horrific manner that she was found in so it's very very unfortunate it's a very sad story at this point since we've gone over um Elizabeth's life to what we to what we can confidently say that we know, um, we will get into the discussion of the podcast root of evil. Um, and again, I'm going to disclaimer the shit out of this episode mm-hmm. just because it's so um, dark and intense. Um, like I said, we're going to be talking about the root of evil. The full name is uh, Root of Evil, the true story of the Hodel family and the Black Dahlia. So again, if you haven't heard the podcast and you're interested thus far in the death of elizabeth short turn this off go listen to it i will say that that podcast is it's just it's really it's, good oh, it, it is, it's i really i've good. listened to it four times that's how good <laughs> it is with that being said there's going to be major spoilers and talk of gruesome triggering content so you know there's going to be more in depth about her body her death um, there's also going to be situations of rape and incest just due to the podcast Street of Evil. So, again, we urge you to listen listen with caution. Yes. And we will, at the end of our outro, we'll be putting some networks and stuff that you can reach out to. Yes. I've got um, one major one that they actually mention in the other mm-hmm. podcast, and then we'll also link it. Um, in the description and in our Instagram posts and all that kind of stuff because we know that that's a, um, a pretty big. Yeah, so if you think you'd be triggered, 
it's okay to step back because this is heavy. I had to pause listening to yeah. Root of Evil. Yeah, it's pretty fucked up. So just um, just know that we're about to get into it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the Root of Evil podcast is about George Hodel and his family. Uh, George Hodel is the suspected killer of Black Dahlia and overall fuck ass. <laughs> that's what his wikipedia page says it, it, straight from wikipedia <laughs> if you see the word fuck ass is i wrote it on there um george hodell was suspected of the murder of elizabeth short um when they were investigating initially but ultimately he was never charged with anything uh this guy has a very fucked up family line um he started having kids when he was 15 and ultimately ended up with 11 children. Jesus. <laughs> so, and he had married five different times. I don't want to go too much in depth necessarily on the podcast. I'm just trying to, we just really wanted to pick out pieces that were relevant to Elizabeth Short and how he's tied to it. And why they think so strongly. A lot of people think so strongly he Yeah, that he specifically her. had something to do with this and that the fact that, um, you know, maybe one of his wives knew, his daughter knew. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of, we have to like pick and, you know, pick and choose what we're talking about and kind of piece it together. So hopefully we don't totally just like fuck this podcast up for you guys. But um, so where I figured we would pick up on is George, his first marriage was to Dorothy Anthony Barbie who he has um, his daughter with, and his daughter's name is Tamar. And she is a huge player in this story, as well as Elizabeth Short. Um, eventually, him and Dorothy Barbie get divorced. They separate. Um, and then he marries Dorothy Houston Hodel. And the nickname for her is Dorero, which is, it's like two Latin words put together. Ultimately, it's like it's this weird sexual nickname that he gives to her. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of honestly a, a cool fucking name, Gerrero. Um, she and him have four sons together. Um, and what you need to know about George is that his occupation is he is a very highly respected doctor. And one of the big things in the 40s was that everybody was getting venereal diseases (laughs) so he was one of the very few doctors who was trained in in this area of testing treatment all that kind of stuff for venereal diseases so he was going to doing house calls doing it out of his home all this kind of stuff um but what george wasn't telling people is that he was giving them false positive tests he wasn't even testing them and then he's charging them money and he's basically you know at the time it was like oh if you have this infection this disease you know it's like scarlet letter you got a yeah. scarlet a on your chest and, and and he's really and then he's telling people yeah you have this yeah, and then they don't people. yeah and then they would go home and tell their husbands or their wives oh my god i had this infection and then yeah. it's it's you know it's tearing apart people's lives and homes yeah. and he's just falsely fucking doing it just for the money so yeah he's a big piece of shit um George was also, just a side note, um, a suspect in his secretary's death because Mm -hmm. she found out what he was doing with this lack of testing and charging people money. Someone wrote a letter, right? I remember reading this part or listening to this part. Yeah, somebody wrote a letter and said, hey, 
I went and got a secondary opinion mm-hmm. and I'm, you know, going to make a lawsuit against you. You lied. You're in my life, yada, yada. So her, um, her name, Ruth Spaulding, she was like, I've had enough to hear with this yeah. motherfucker. And so she went to go confront him. And then mysteriously she committed suicide. Dun, dun, dun. But she didn't. They're pretty sure that he went into her apartment drugged her overdosed her and then he was the one Mm -hmm. who found her oh how that just works out yeah exactly Mm. and then she died later on that night at the hospital so they think that he had a a heavy hand in in her death yeah um but yeah so that's just another part of why the fuck this guy is um this will be the shit um another huge thing and i mean it's fucking huge is that um George was a surrealist, and the world of surrealism was how he chose to live his life. Mm-hmm. And basically, and Kristen, correct me if I'm wrong, but basically surrealism is an art form that started in late 1920s to early 30s, mainly out of France and Europe. And it's derived from how they describe it as like like a dream where it's like a very vivid, precise, uh, like. Uh, Is this like a state of mind? Yeah, almost. It's like a state of mind, but then you you put it into like your lifestyle. So it's how I kind of, um, sorry, mom and dad, but <laughs> how I imagine it is like when you take LSD, like mm-hmm. acid or mushrooms, okay. how you're still living and you're still awake and cognizant but everything is like, like heightened, yeah. precise. Yeah, like okay. you know what you're seeing, you know what you're interpreting, and they, it's. They talked about it as like a, a dream where you know what's happening, like very bright, clear. Okay. But, and you know this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. But you put it together, and nothing makes sense. So each individual piece of it makes sense. But as a whole, it doesn't. Okay. So it's... Or like when you have a really vivid dream and you first wake up in the morning, you can recall every single aspect of that dream. But as you progress later into the day, you're like, oh, what was I dreaming about last night? So it was kind of like they always had to keep this constant, like, um, what do I want to say? Like hyper real state of mind. Okay. So, yeah, and I could, that was the only thing that I could really, like, wrap my mind around is that it's kind of like LSD, like, constant trying to be on LSD. But they're not on drugs. Um, well, <laughs> like, like, to get to this point, no. like. No, 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 okay. no, no. But a, I mean, well, I don't want to say no because a huge part of being um, a surrealist meant that you work hard, but you party ten times harder. Okay. So, like, the Hodel house was should have been no place for for children and at the time he had five children living there he had tamar Mm -hmm. and then he had tamar's half siblings um her her four half brothers so you've got this house full of five kids and and um george and dorero were basically they were all swingers because a big part of it too was you know huge parties you're drinking you're doing drugs you're having you know, orgies and affairs and all this like crazy shit because like for surrealists, it was, you know, you're not supposed to have kids. You're not supposed to have anything that would tie you down to 
getting to almost like this heightened state of mind. Like you could go to work and do your nine to five. And then after that, you're up until three o'clock in the morning having sex, doing drugs. Mm -hmm. It was this weird, almost like it kind of reminded me of, I guess, like a hippie era Mm -hmm. type of, but it was so much more fucked up than that. It wasn't like free love. It was like women are our objects and you will surrender everything to me reviewed as like less than and it was just this very uh, like oppressive state of mind if you were a man obviously you know there were women who were a part of this too but they were 100 percent okay with the idea of i am yours to do with what you will kind of thing so it's pretty uncomfortable um and because george is a doctor He's very well off. He's a part of this surrealist society and lifestyle. So he's a a well-known man of of high status. So he kept around the same kind of company. And two of the main people that he really kept around was a um, photographer, painter named Man Ray. And I believe that he was French. I could be wrong on that. Um, And then a guy named Fred Sexton, who was like a hypnotist vanguard writer kind of person um so these are two big names in the surrealism world george was too so they obviously all congregated together um and like we said in surrealism like women were portrayed as giving up everything and surrendering and they were only around to service that art form that lifestyle so this was depicted in poems pictures paintings all that kind of stuff all the above I think it's important and and, because like that's a big part of why why they can tie George back to the Black Dahlia death is his involvement in surrealism so I really can't drive that home (laughs) anymore without just repeating myself but it also really reflects the relationship that he had with his daughter um, Tamar so and it gives you a real grasp on how he felt about women. So not only is he in this lifestyle of fuck women, they're here at my disposal. Yeah. Um, that transpired into Tamar, his only daughter, who, um, trigger warning here, um, he raped and ultimately was, she got impregnated by him. and At 14. At, yeah, at 14 years old. And she said that whenever George was doing things with her because I think at first it just started as like he they would lay in the same bed together and then he taught her you know how to perform oral sex on him and then one night at a party it ultimately came to a head that he fully had raped her and he told her that when she was 16 he was going to give her a gift well then it didn't happen when she was 16 and it wasn't it's not a fucking gift your dad just raped you and you're 14 knew that it was weird but she said i i can't say anything because this is the highest honor like my dad is god and i'm a chosen one who's allowed to interact with him in this kind of way so it was just really fucking weird and and george's friends because that was another thing too is he always wanted tamar to be involved in these parties that they were having so the drugs the drinking the sex and so george's friends were like oh so if you can do this to your daughter then we can do this to your daughter Mm -hmm. so then it's not only is her dad abusing her but it's 
other women, other men. Mm-hmm. And George would get kind of protective about it with other men doing it. But then he would pick up right where they left off. Mm-hmm. So he's not, he's in no way, shape, or form like fit to be this fucking, to, to be apparent to anybody. So it was just this fucking volatile relationship that, you know, that she had to deal with with her dad. Um, and later on in life, Tamar went on to have a few children, and one of them um, was named Deborah Elizabeth. And George insisted that her middle name be Elizabeth. Mm. And then it's kind of like, why did you insist on it being Elizabeth? When, because is it because you fucking killed Elizabeth Short? Yeah. So they always found that to be really strange. And like I said, Tamar knew that her dad. Mm-hmm. Like, that he was a suspect in the Black Dahlia murder. She knew that immediately. Um, but, again, I don't want to get into too much of Tamar's story because the podcast is really worth listening. And But it's it's a good insight on how he treats his daughter to how that transpires into Black Dahlia murder. Um, and like I said, she's the first one to admit, um, you know, that their dad had um, something to do with the case. Um so one of George's sons, who's really a, a big player in the story too, his name is Steve Hodel. Um, and he was in the, he was a part of LAPD um, in 1963. And he worked specifically like in the homicide. And he was there for 17 years and had over 300 cases. And he also had, him and his partner had like the highest clearance rate in LA. So they were really, looking into cases and and really getting their shit figured out um which is funny that he ends up being a police officer (laughs) you know just because of how this whole thing transpires um so tamar and steve never really talked and mind you they're half siblings because they have two different moms so they didn't really talk a lot you know they did when they were kids because they obviously lived together but as their adult life tamar went off and did her own thing he was a police officer you know, they really had no contact. And it wasn't um, up until, I would honestly say a few years ago, because this podcast came out in 2019, that they started talking again. And and she mentioned to Steve, well, you know, our dad was a suspect of the Black Dahlia murder. And Steve was like, what the fuck? He's like, are you serious? And like, that's that's a pretty big fucking deal. And so um, that's kind of how he, he was retired at that point from LAPD. And he had moved to where did he move to? Was it like, uh, not Washington, but like South Carolina, somewhere over South, there? Yeah, I can't remember. Um, but then he moved back to LA to, mm-hmm. you know, basically come out of retirement. And, and he was, he was hell bent on wanting to prove that his dad was innocent. That's how that whole thing started. Yeah. And then later on, that turns to be like, oh no, my dad for sure fucking did this. Yeah. Um, so while Steve is um, researching basically his dad and his whole family, he makes these crazy connections of how George and his friends are really connected to the Black Dahlia, and, and, and the crime scene reflects that. And it all goes back to the, the concept of this surrealism. So George's friend, Man Ray, would take these crazy, I don't even want to say abstract because they, they weren't, but in a way they were, but it was always depicting like real life things so it's like um he has one um picture and it's called the minotaur i think i'm saying that right 
half man, half beast okay. thing. That was like the surrealism like mascot almost. An idol for them. Uh-huh. And so that particular picture shows a woman cut in half with her arms above her head and her lower half hmm. moved away from her upper body. Literally how yeah. Elizabeth was found. Um, another piece of art that he did was called Lover's Lips, and it's just a giant set of red lips, but they connected that to how she was sliced um, from ear to ear. And then this other one, I'm going to botch the name. I tried to Google it and didn't pull anything up, but it's like Lolokai or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But it basically just shows a, um, a female body naked, and then in replacement of a, of a face, it's like the, uh, the tic-tac-toe, like cross-hatching. Mm-hmm. And when they found Elizabeth's body, she had cross-hatching on her right hip, lacer- you know, like yeah, cut like into same. her. Yeah. Steve basically made the – and he had made – there was like I think 10 or 10, 15 yeah. conclusions to mm-hmm. how it was all tied together. Just of this art. That, yeah, just yeah. of like his art and, and everything and um, – there was another thing going back to Tamar. Her first and middle name are based off of um, poems, like surrealist poems. I think the guy's name was something um, Jeffers. Yeah, Richard Jeffers, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the name of the poem is Tamar, and it's basically it's so eerie because the poem basically reflects majority of her life, and then she has a daughter named fauna tamar in real life had a daughter named fauna so it's just this it's just it's too coincidental to not be fucking connected um so steve makes these conclusions that george was basically paying homage to his friends Mm -hmm. in doing this murder um and having their artwork come back to life um and then kind of skipping back a little bit when elizabeth's um, body was found because George, the, the reason why George was a suspect is because he was one of five doctors at the time who knew how to perform um, the hemicorporectomy. Hmm. So yeah. it's also like, you going to tell me that you're one in five yeah. and then you're a part of the surrealist group and all these paintings match how you had this crime scene laid out. It's just, it's There's so also eerie. audio of him saying that he wanted to mystify or shock the surrealists. I thought that was interesting just because. Yeah, and that was like they have recordings in the mm-hmm. um, Root of Evil podcast about Man Ray saying um, the only crime to mankind that you can commit is fear of the crime itself. Mm. Where it's like murder is okay, rape is okay, incest is okay, bestiality is okay. It's the fear of you doing those things that is a crime to mankind. So that's, yeah. you know, that's yeah. just how these people thought. Mm-hmm. So they're just like, oh, well, I'm not afraid to commit a murder or rape so my daughter. No crime. And so there's no crime because yeah. the only crime would be to myself for not doing it. So it's this yeah. fucking ooh, power trip of a, yeah. of a way to fucking Jeez. live. Um, and friends of Elizabeth, I don't know to what extent, but they knew that she had some sort of involvement with George, mm-hmm. whether that was a sexual relationship, maybe she had gone to get tested. George also was a big part of, um, and the police were too, there was illegal abortion rings happening. Mm. So it was kind of like, did she go see him for one of those things? Were they just like sexual partners? You know, what was what was really the involvement, I think is kind of unknown yeah. to the fullest extent. At one point, the 
LAPD and the DA's office, actually I think it was more the DA's office, broke into Georgia's house, the mm-hmm. hotel home, and bugged it. So mm-hmm. they put, you know, all these different recording devices in yeah. there so that they, because they knew that something was up with him, and they just, they could never get him to talk about anything because he would just, if they wanted him to talk, he'd pay off somebody so that he didn't have yeah. to. And he just had too much power for them to get to him. So they fucking broke into his house and, and bugged his home. Um, and when Steve was looking through all the stuff at the DA's office and the LAPD office, he never found that stuff within LAPD's vault, but he found a secondary copy at the DA's office because the first initial copy that actually had the like tapes themselves had been destroyed, Hmm. but somebody made a copy of all the transcripts Uh, of the recording and the recordings, um, they bugged his house for, I think five weeks, a total of five weeks. So it was, you know, five over a month of transcripts yeah. that, that he was able to go through and read. Um, and on these tapes and more so on the transcripts that they were able to read through and re- reenact, um, George said very, very incriminating things. And one of the famous quotes from him is, Supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia, they can't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary anymore because she's dead. So it's like, you know, he's over here like, well, what if I did? Who's going to catch me? Who's going to find out? And so, you know, then he goes into these weird details about how his secretary dies. But you would only know those if you were there, there. you know, or if you were fucking involved. Like he talks about take like taking her to the fucking hospital in the car taking her to the hospital and yes he did that but it's like just how he spoke about it it was like so you fucking did it basically yeah. is what you're saying another thing when george or not george um when steve was going through george's stuff at the um at the da's office there was a record about the house because they lived in a, in a historical house mm-hmm. it was um it's not I think it's just Lloyd Wright. I think Frank Lloyd Wright is Lloyd Wright's father. Okay. But they live in this house, and it's called, they call it the Franklin House, but the proper name is the Soudan House. So they have this whole folder on it because it's a historical house to, mm-hmm. to L.A. area. So when he's flipping through all this stuff, he finds actual receipts for, um, I don't know if it was structural, but it was some sort of repairs being made to the house and landscaping made to the house. What was ordered was 50-pound cement bags and manure fertilizer. Mm. And the significance about that is because, mind you, going back to the crime scene of Elizabeth Short, they found cement bags covered in watery blood that was used to transport her. And then George had ordered 10 bags of those. And this is really gross, but um, they determined in her autopsy they found manure in her stomach, in her intestines, meaning she was forced to eat that manure while she was alive. So the fact that you've got, you know, 20 bags of whatever it is or 10 bags of all this stuff, and then it's found at her crime scene and found in her, it's just, there's, you know, too many connections. Um, So it was, oh, God, it just fucking grosses me out. Um, and, and I personally think just the, the time frame, cause I think those were bought, um, 
I think like three days before she was found. So I like the receipt showed like three days before she was found. So I mean, I personally think it's safe to say that she was tortured for days in the yeah. hotel home before her body was was mutilated like it was and then placed. And I think that that way it all goes back to that fucking surrealism where it's just yeah. like, I'm going to do what I want with you and you're a woman. So you'll surrender to me. What we can kind of conclude for his house being, you know, tapped and, and, and what he's saying on here is one, he knows something about his secretary's death, kind of that he was fucking, that he did it. Um, and that he also knows, knows something or had involvement with Black Dahlia. It's, I mean, it's so incriminating what he says on these tapes. Um, and he also knew that his house was, was tapped because he answers the phone one time and he just goes, hello, you're on a, you're on a recorded line. Oh, I know that, that my it's house been, is tapped. It's been for a while, yeah. Yeah, like, like he figured it out. And, and he was like, and he didn't care because he was just fucked up. And like, like I said, the recordings went on for like five weeks. And it was really weird because it, at one point in time, I don't know if it was just all in one night or if it was the span of, of two nights, they could hear a woman screaming yeah. and then something being like, like a pipe. Hit. I think it's yeah. a pipe. And so then Steve is like, I mean, whether or not that was Elizabeth Short, we don't know, but what if it was someone else? And, and then the, you're listening. You yeah. are listening in that home of a woman screaming and somebody being beaten and you did absolutely nothing. But it was because the whole time LAPD is, I mean, they're, they're intertwined with George because he's paying them off. Mm -hmm. They're protecting him. It's all, it's all this bullshit. Um, So um, on March 27th of 1950 is when the, when the recording stopped. Um, And like they, in in a weird way, they go all clear recording stopped. And it's, 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 like, super weird. Like, what do you mean all clear? Yeah, that's unsettling. It's, yeah, it's fucking weird. So then days later, after March 27th, um, George, George Hodel skips town. And then over the next 40 years, he would live throughout Hawaii, Japan, and the Philippines. And he would start a whole new family in the Philippines. Oh, my gosh. And Steve kind of came to the conclusion that, you know, he believes his father got off with everything because of his status his money his power the fact that he now fled the country the police were just like fuck it if he comes back maybe we'll talk to him but we're not going to worry about it we'll just mark it as as an unsolved cold case thing and and, and we're not going to look into him any further um and then steve hodell actually he has his own website um we'll put that in the um in the description of the episode as well because it's kind of neat to check out he has a handful of books and at the time that they were recording the interview with Steve, um, he was about to release his newest book. Well, he had to put it on hold because someone had wrote him a letter about um, this particular person's grandfather. And this, per- this um, person's grandfather was an informant for the LAPD. So the letter said, you know, it black- regarding Black Dahlia death. And he was like, I need you to read this upon my death because now my daughters are no longer protected. I was an informant with the LAPD. I knew um, GH, George Hodel. Yeah. And it was basically the letter was saying he committed the murder of, you know, Elizabeth Short. The LAPD knew his involvement and they were protecting him. So it was like this big, like, unfolding thing right before Steve's, like, about to put this book out that he was recently right or 
at the time recently writing. Um, so that's also interesting that it's like just more than the Hodel family and the LAPD know what's going on. Um, George, the piece of shit, died May 16th of 1999 after living a full life that he didn't fucking deserve. Yeah, he was going to be, what, like 92? Huh? He lived to be like 92 or something. Yeah, and I think he died in the 90s in his 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, and then other things worth worth mentioning is that George had a penthouse in the largest apartment building in San Francisco. So he was at the tippy top of this building. Before he, he fled. Like before he. This is when he died. Did he die yes. Yeah. He, oh, so okay. he, yeah, he Sorry. died here. So it's, he was in the Philippines and then him and his wife, June, okay. I, at some point in time came back to, um, to California. Okay. Got it. And, um. It's, just, it's so fucking eerie. His apartment, if you looked out the windows, it overlooked the Oakland Cemetery. Mm-hmm. And if you remember, that's where Elizabeth Short is buried. Fucking stop. So it's like... <laughs> yeah, so it's just like, really? It was like... It was the 90s that this dude died. Like, we were all alive in the 90s. So it's just... It's fucking weird to be like... that. It's not like this guy... You know, like, he died in the 50s or shortly after he, you know, did all this. It's like, yeah. he, lived he lived until, he you know, li- he almost fucking long- 20 years yeah. ago. And he lived a long fucking life. He lived he yeah, cut- a full life. And-, and he literally cut a 22-year-old's life short. Well, and then, I don't know if you will mention this, but didn't Steve say that they believe, like, he killed, like, 50? Yeah, like, Steve thinks that it that he killed upwards of 51 women over his lifetime. Yeah, so he, he cut short 51 lives. Yeah, potentially. Potentially, yes. and yeah, have to be 92. And, and it's fucked up, too, because, like, Steve was trying to run DNA tests and handwriting tests as much as he could to keep up with proving evidence. And every time that he would reach out to LAPD, they would just say, we don't have time for cold cases. So what have they said since the podcast came out? I don't think there's really there's I mean Steve is still writing books and mm-hmm. he's still pushing you it. know he's still pushing to to prove but it's it's hard when the fucking police yeah. won't work you can with only you. do so much yeah yeah but they, the fact that the podcast came out and the whole family is basically like yes this happened oh yeah everyone says yeah yeah exactly especially um Rasha and Yvette the, yeah. the two women who host it so um Rasha and Yvette are George's great-granddaughters their mother is named Fauna Hodel, which is the daughter of Tamar Hodel. And the reason why we'll put a link to Steve's website is because he has a whole family tree of who George, who his parents were, who he married, how many kids he had, and how many kids those kids had. Yeah. So it's this whole just, I mean, literally fucked up family tree, and it's i don't know it's it's a mind fuck it's a fucking trip to listen to this podcast but i mean i literally cannot reiterate to go and fucking listen to it because it's worth your time yeah so i have a question yeah why do you think he fixated on elizabeth short like is there any how do we like their paths crossing in some way was she into surrealism or why was she yeah i I don't know, know because I mean I've researched the fuck out yeah. of this and I don't think I've ever confidently put two and two together of of how they knew each other mm-hmm. but it just makes me think you know if Elizabeth moved back to California to kind of have this I don't want to say party lifestyle but you know li- li- be in your 20s and live your life 
and George is having these fucking crazy house parties, yeah. it you know it it just makes me wonder if that's how they crossed paths. I and she yeah, was and she was it. so beautiful, and it was he like I have to have this. Yeah, I don't think it mattered who it was for him. Like yes, they crossed paths, they met, it happened to her, whatever. But I don't think it was. Specifically well, I, meant to be her. It was just he wanted to do this. Well, the fact that he got a fucking penthouse looking over the cemetery, I just well, felt like yeah. She, I would almost have to argue that maybe there was something specifically with her because if if Steve thinks that he killed potentially, I don't know if the fifty one is including hers, but we'll just say fifty one women. Why was no one else found in the way that she was found? Because I just mm. think it's the obsession of of him getting away with this one and being able to shock the surrealist the way he wanted to but why her why not yeah. that's why what i'm not? saying i don't think it mattered that it was her i mean i could be wrong i'm just saying in my opinion i don't think it mattered who it was it was just he wanted to do this specific thing and shock the surrealist like he said this was his big master plan that he put together yeah, or Got away maybe, with it. or maybe George maybe didn't necessarily have a specific tie to Elizabeth Short, but I mean, if Elizabeth Short knew George Hodel, did she know Man Ray? Did she know Fred Sexton? Did yeah. they yeah. have something yeah. to be like, hey, you know, here's my commentary on Elizabeth Short, and because he wanted to pay homage to his friends and make this art come to life did they have a fixation with her yeah. and that's why it was her because it's also like well you george clearly had a fixation with his daughter yeah. why didn't you do that to your daughter yeah and um Durero had a alcohol problem mm-hmm. so he was literally constantly beating the shit out of her mm. so it's like why didn't you do it to to your wife then yeah it's like all these different things you know, so I don't know. I don't know if it was specific yeah. to Elizabeth Short, if that just happened to be, you know, I mean, we've talked about other murderers where it's just like, that's just who it is. That's, yeah, unfortunately, the time and place. But it just, the, what, the reason I ask you, but it's so, it's so fucking, personal. Yes. And it's so eerie that how many fucking years later he buys a penthouse to look over the cemetery that she's at. Yeah. That, like, when you told me that first thing this morning when we were setting this shit up, I went, I got chills and then when you said it again i got chills again because that is just because that is that's it's it is i it's personal yes it it means something to it's like when it's like when when killers visit their crime scenes yes when they go back Mm -hmm. he's reliving that crime every single day he looks out the window yes it's yeah it's so i just didn't know because i know like you research this if there was like any connection not saying that he didn't do it, but, like, you know, any connection that showed why. why he was still so many years later, decades later, obsessed with Obsessed her. with her. And I get, like, I mean, he did it in such a loud or very publicized. Publi- yes, publicized way. Yeah, manner. That, yeah, I don't know. It's, it, yeah, it's, it's unsettling. And, I mean, I'm not even kidding you. Like, I and like I said in our, in our very first episode of Ed Kemper, like Black Dahlia was the first memorable thing that I remember, and, and I really do have to say it was because I was so young and I saw those crime scene photos, yeah. and it was just burned into my memory. And then I just remember being like, why would someone 
why would someone do this? Yeah. And it was just disturbing. So it always stuck with me. And then um, I was listening to another podcast that um, that talked about Root of Evil. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, like something recently, because that came out in 2019. So it's like something so recent about Black Dahlia came out. I immediately binged it within like two, three days. Yeah. And I was just like, and I, I've never gone a day without thinking the name George Hodel after I listened to that. Like, that's how haunting this shit is. I can only imagine, um, you know, and and I don't know, I I would assume that her sisters, um, Elizabeth Short's sisters, would still be alive. um, Because I think that Elizabeth would be, let me do some some quick math um, Math. right now. She was born in... uh, 1924 it's 2021 well she might not be alive now um she would have been like 96 97 you know but people people be living these days yes um but you know she had um you know she had other family members and and everything and it's just like and how fucked up it was for those reporters to tell Mm -hmm. her mom and the manner that they did and we you know we have a true crime podcast we talk about it but it's like Every single time that we sit here to record an episode, it's like it really dawns on you that, like, this is not – yes, it's a story, but these are people's lives. Yeah. And then I think Root of Evil really drives it home that, like – Because it's people, a family. These people are still dealing with it. Yeah. Now, I do um, – I know that, that Fauna has passed away, and I do believe that um, Tamar has passed away as well. I know that she was in hospice in Hawaii. So I'm pretty sure that she's that she's passed now and Fauna has passed too. So it's just like, you know, then you're then you're left with the that reeling uh, feeling of mm-hmm. this uh, this fucking fucked up my family. Yeah. And this dude fucked up my mom and then she fucked up me. And it's just like to touch on what you kind of said, Emily, it's just it's a unique way of looking at it because usually most podcasts they just give you the victims or the people that have, you know, passed away because of these people mm-hmm. and their lives. But sometimes you don't think about the other side of it, the other the other coin, the other side of the coin of, like, you are still this, – this killer's or this person's family is still impacted by this person's actions. So it's not just the victim and the victim family that could be impacted. It's the law enforcement that, you know, studied yeah. these cases and went to these crime scenes and, you know, dedicated their life to find these – people these people that have done these crimes then it's the people's families that are impacted by this too i mean it's 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 something that we don't take lightly when we research things like this but because of root of evil you don't see this side of it it's it's no and i think that that's i can honestly sit here and say i think that's why it haunted me so much yeah because i remember i like i said i was listening to this morning coming in and steve George's that's George's son right okay Uh um he was like you know I love my dad because he gave me life but I don't love the monster inside of him and you don't see that side it's just it's so you know yeah because you don't sit there and think fuck that was somebody's dad yeah who and the sad thing is is he took this on to clear his dad's name because he was like there's no way in hell my dad did this absolutely not yeah he's like I love my dad I remember you know have these fond memories of him you know all this and that yeah and then to sit there and be like his life got turned upside down that entire entire family's life got turned upside down I don't want to diminish diminish Elizabeth Schwartz or any of the women's lives that he took but yeah it's just really interesting to see this side of it too because when someone takes somebody's life it's more than just their life that's impacted. It's mm-hmm. it's more than the 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 killer and then the victim. Yeah. It is it's a web 
of fucking people that have to sit there and learn to deal with that trauma. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, and that will wrap up our fifth episode of Liquor and Luminol. And as we talked about earlier, if you or somebody you know has experienced rape, abuse, or incest, we're going to put the link for an organization called RAIN, which stands for the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. Um, They have a number and a website that you can reach out to um, if you need help in that area. Yeah, we'll put it in the description on Spotify and Apple, and then we'll also put it on our Instagram post. That way there is multiple ways for you to access that if needed and if you need to share that with someone yes and also we will plug uh root of evil one more time and like we said we will put that in the description box as well for you guys to check out because it is an amazing podcast yes and then um like we said too we'll (laughs) we'll put steve hodell's website there um if you're interested read his books um he also does have an interactive blog on his website so if you ever come across something that's remotely you know tied to the case or you want to share your thoughts um he does actually take the time to respond to your forum post so which is kind of cool so that wraps up this episode if you guys have any ideas for episodes in the future let us know um we have a lineup for a couple more months so we're really excited but if you have a good one we forgot about yeah please message us on smudge one and be like no yeah yeah exactly (laughs) so message us on instagram comment on the posts um rate like subscribe all the social media things that you could think of doing (laughs) we would appreciate it thanks guys see ya